0: All right, good morning, good afternoon to everybody. I am your host, George Evian. This is the Dead Three Coaching Podcast, episode nine. I think we started this uh, January third or fourth of the new year. And my hope was is to just get you know six, seven, eight episodes in and then start getting some guests out there. We also have our old podcast out from the cube where we got up to about 160, 170 episodes and um, had a number of guests on there and just wanted to start something new. So we kicked this off with the new year and we're at the point now where I want to start bringing guests in. And I have a friend, a very close friend. We've known each other for six or seven years now and kind of running similar, or the same circles here in the St. Louis area. And I'm, I'm happy to welcome Justin Shy. Justin, we've talked about this for, you know, maybe even more than a year or so. Right. Of getting you on and and uh, tapping into your your interests on leadership and teams and what you do professionally and all that. And I appreciate you uh, being on the show and having time for us today. I know you mentioned earlier this morning, you you have a very busy week uh, this week. And so I appreciate you finding some time for us.
1: Yeah, man, no, I appreciate it.
0: Yeah. And so the background this, we'll put this up on YouTube. We're going to build our YouTube channel up with our guests. Our backgrounds are significantly different. He's got a home office with all this sports stuff and Cardinal stuff and blue stuff, probably in the background. And I've got my unfinished basement that I promised my wife I'd get done two years ago. And we dry we but we've got the drywall up now. The mutters and tapers have been here. So, um, I am making progress on my unfinished basement. So, um, I've got this wall behind me that going to be my, uh, basement bar here so we've got a whole bunch going on in my basement so um, we're just going to jump right into it man um, you know tell us a little tell us real quick you know uh, you know my group and kind of the people we run with and here in St. Louis know about you and who you are and what you do but you know our, our large audience outside this area you know may not know you or probably don't and so I want you you fill us in on, on who you work for and what you do and uh, and all that.
1: Yeah, so Justin Shy. Uh, I work for a software company called VMware. Uh is VMU, That's Vicar Mary W. Uh and so I've been here for eight years uh, and currently lead a team that focuses on our healthcare vertical. So healthcare providers specifically, not the central part of the US. So I have uh I have 13 uh sales engineers that roll up to me uh that I'm leading a Daily, weekly, sometimes hourly basis.
0: Hmm. And are all and is your sales team um all like local, meaning all in the states, or is this is VMware a global company? Or is yeah, it- so
1: VMware, yeah, a little bit more about VMware. <clears throat> yeah. VMware is a global company, uh, roughly forty thousand employees uh spread throughout the the globe. Um here in the US, though, is where our healthcare vertical kind of focuses. We have a healthcare practice overseas and that really hasn't combined yet because of regulatory reasons and the way that kind of healthcare works in Europe uh, versus the way that healthcare works in the states. Um, so we're we're basically just the contiguous 48. Um I think we do have a presence in Hawaii and Alaska, but we don't span countries from a care perspective, meaning Canada, things like that. We're just focused here in the US.
0: Hmm. And you're, the sales team you have, like, so you're, you're customer facing, like, you're a point for all your customers. And, and is that how you spend, you know, is, is most of your time, I mean, building your teams and building your people and sales strategies and all that sort of stuff. But are, are, how much of your day is spent face to face or on the phone and all that with your customers?
1: Yeah. So part of the reason uh, the office looks the way it does uh, is because a lot of my time pre COVID was actually out in the field. Meeting with customers, meeting with employees, things like that. Um, since COVID happened, uh, since the pandemic, we've we've taken a turn. I've, I've beefed up my home office, my camera. There's lighting in here, microphones, things like that. Uh, but I'm back out, um, you know, in the field now. So later this week, I'll be in Kansas City meeting with some accounts. Uh, next week, I have some personal travel, but after that, I think I'm in Louisiana meeting with accounts. So yeah back out on the road quite a bit
0: yeah are we allowed to you mentioned and you quickly went over and here's you're bearing the lead here you're bearing the lead in that you're are we allowed to talk about your personal travel that's coming up i mean yeah, this can. is this is this is a great a little this is a great thing that you're doing
1: yeah yeah so a little bit of a bucket list item uh for me uh i have a cousin when he turned 40 years old i guess it was about seven years ago now um uh, he planned a trip to TPC Sawgrass in Jacksonville, Florida. So a group of four of us uh, went and played golf there. Well, he reached out to me and said, "Hey, you know, I, there's this thing up for auction. I need you to look at it, price it out. Uh, and the Waste Management Phoenix Open and the Super Bowl are both in Phoenix <laughs> on the same weekend. Uh, so it's a package deal. Uh basically i'm going to check off a couple bucket list items uh getting to participate in both of those things
0: so you get to go to uh, the waste management for those that know like the famous hole i guess for that it's in phoenix is the or is it scottsdale or that area and then it's um is it 16 is that what it is the 16th hole it's a par three how many how many people does that 16th hole hold That they built the. I think I've
1: heard like in between fifty and seventy thousand people just in that little stadium area, which it's grown over time. I remember uh, some videos of Tiger Woods when he actually played there, making a hole in one, and the place went nuts. But back behind the green was not built out the way it is now. Like now, it's truly an enclosed stadium. And I've got to humble brag, I guess I've got to play there dice right after Mm. the tournaments uh in mm-hmm. in the past i've never been to the tournament which is what i'm going to get to do uh this time so it's kind of cool yeah
0: right and then so that would be on a saturday and then sunday you would be going off to the super bowl right
1: yeah we have yeah, a what uh, a great deal i think it's guy fieri's uh celebrity tailgate party before that and oh then my. transition to the super bowl
0: so well, that's great well speaking of the super bowl the 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 championship games and this is where I wanted to kind of lead into right and get your opinion on because it, it it actually was, you know, I have this notebook here in front of me and I wake up and try to take notes every morning. And, you know, the content that I consume or at least bubbles up on my feeds on Twitter and Instagram and LinkedIn and all that are kind of around team type stuff. So this past weekend, just to kind of set the stage for this conversation and get Justin's perspective. Last night, the Kansas City Chiefs uh, played the Cincinnati Bengals in the AFC Championship game, and it was a close game. My wife's from KC. We were kind of locked in and and, um, and watching that game. And it was a great game, and it came down to three-point. Uh, it was tied up. It was tied up with about a minute to go, 20-20. to 20. Chiefs had the ball. They're going down the field. They were somewhere around the 50-yard line, and as they're going down the field, uh, Mahomes, the quarterback for – the Chiefs is scrambling, trying to get a first down. It may have been third down, and he runs out of bound and, and gets the first down. But as he's running out of bound, and, and there may have been actually less than 15 seconds actually uh, on the clock, as he runs out of bounds, he gets pushed by a by a defensive player for the Cincinnati Bengals, which results in a foul. So he gets the 10 yards or whatever it may have been on the play, but then he also gets 15 additional yards because of the penalty of unsportsmanlike conduct. So now they're in a position to win the game. They kick a field goal. They win the game. And then the camera continues to show, not it shows, it does continue to show, uh, the player that pushed him out of bounds to get the call, uh, to get the uh, the unsportsmanlike conduct call. And the guy's literally sobbing. Like he's on the sideline sobbing. Um, and, I, and I've read since then he was 22 years old. But it like, it really hit me a little bit because as I'm watching that, People are coming up to him. People are talking to him. He stayed on the bench for quite a while. um, And then he finally left the bench with a, with a, with a a teammate. And then, then you see him kind of uh, in the, in the locker room after the game and kind of the press conference stuff like that. So that's kind of the background to, to where they'll lead the conversation, but it impacted me because of just what kind of, what kind of teammates he had, what kind of organization Cincinnati Cincinnati is, what, uh, what other teammates, cause there's both sides of the coin. There was also a video clip. I don't know if you saw it, Justin where as they were entering the locker room, there were some guys really upset with him. Like there was yeah, one why, guy that was why like,
1: did touch, why did we touch the quarterback? Right. I remember right, hearing that. Too.
0: Yeah. Right. So you get both sides of it. There was this one side of just getting after him. And because that, that, you know, you could say that cost them, that cost them the Super Bowl. Right. I mean, it, it could have, who knows what would have happened. Right. Um, and for one person to carry that burden. Um, but I'm, I i guess I'm interested in your perspective because we'll get into the team dynamics of it uh, here in a little bit, but just kind of on the surface level, when you saw that, and I think you were watching the game, um, yeah. you know, what were you, what What have you seen on social media or what were your thoughts as it relates to that, that, that episode and the conclusion of that game?
1: Yeah, man, a tough situation, right? Um, all around the guy in the heat of the moment, uh, you know, the, professional sports in general move much faster than college sports do, which move much faster than high school sports do. Right. So, uh, seeing him have to make a decision like that in a split second. And then the, the end result is it's tough, right? Like, uh, I'm a firm believer that people inherently want to do good. Right. Like nobody shows up on a morning and says, man, how can I, how can I fail today? Right, like right. I really feel like uh, you know he he was in a tough spot. He was he was just trying to do the right thing, uh, and it didn't work out that time. Right, and visibly shaken, like you said on the sidelines, um, you know, distraught, uh, unhappy, disappointed, probably. Um, but I love the culture that I've I've learned about from the Bengals since then. Right, post interviews. Uh, one of which was the head coach Zach Taylor. Um, I don't know much about him, but what I do know about him, stand-up guy. Uh, hearing you know how he handled the the situation against the Buffalo Bills earlier in the year with uh, Demar Hamlin and that unfortunate event, right? Right. Uh, luckily, right. I, think, I think Hamlin is doing okay now. But like at that point, football wasn't that important, right? It's somebody else's life, and I think. Uh, you know, he was asked in a post-game interview, like, you know, what are your thoughts on the play? Have you talked to to Joseph Osai? And, and he deflected, right? Effectively. That wasn't the only play that lost them the game that may have been local. Right. But ultimately like there were other plays that, you know, that were made throughout that game, uh, when added up, you know, cost them to lose the game. So I think, Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's powerful, right? A coach that has your back. I also think, uh, You know, there was a a report in the locker room and found Osai and they started asking him questions about the play. And there was a guy standing right by him. I think his name's BJ Hill, maybe defensive lineman. And he's like, come on, man, like ask, ask another question. Like, so a teammate that has your back right in a scenario like that, that's the culture that they're really building around the Bengals organization. And uh, you're we're going to see him again. And. In the championship games, probably in the Super Bowl at some point, because I think they're doing things the right way. Yeah, so
0: I mean, all that hit me as well because I, I I did see the other side where one guy's rolling in, and I was just like, you know, you get these two spectrums of what a great teammate is, right? And I and I I thought that I thought that player standing up with him in the locker room, and he looked, he looked like he was really upset. He like he he had his back so much that it was like. If those reporters ask him the wrong question, this guy's gonna jump on him. Because I mean, he had yeah. this look of of putting fear into everybody asking questions. So I think they were tiptoeing around. But there were so many lessons there. As and it's not it is a sports thing, right? And I think there are so many lessons. Uh, one that I just carry with me through the sports world to the professional world. But you know, you know, probably the title of this podcast is gonna be like, you know, what kind of teammate are you? right? Are you going to be the teammate there that, you know, even when your dreams are crushed and, and, and when things don't turn out your way, maybe because of somebody else, a perspective, uh, you know, something that, you know, people could say somebody else caused this to happen. Like, do you own it? Do you uh, have each other's back? Do you support them? Do you lift them up? Or are you going to be the guy just screaming, you know, um, you know, at them and making them feel worse, even like to your point. I think everybody tries to do good. Everybody's trying their best, right? Um, And everybody wants good things to happen. But like, are there lessons like, like, do you take stories like that to your sales team? I forget what you said, how big your sales team might be. But like, do you take those lessons and, you know, uh, back to your, do you see things in sports that you take back to your team and, and kind of give them those perspectives on things you see? And will you, will you do that maybe with this?
1: yeah definitely on a regular basis so we have a so 13 engineers spread throughout kind of 18 states right in the middle of the us and some of which are sports inclined athletically inclined but some folks like totally don't get the sporting aspect of what i the message that i'm trying to deliver sometimes right so i have to be cognizant and careful with that but yeah man like I definitely take stories like this uh, because like every opportunity that we have with our company, we're trying to solve a problem for them. Mm. Right. Um, And there may be scenarios where we're competing. We're competing against companies like Cisco, like Microsoft, like AWS, like Google. And inevitably there are going to be times when we don't win. Right. Right. Or something, something happens along the line that, that leads us to, Close lost an opportunity instead of, instead of one. Um, mm-hmm. So in those scenarios, we want to learn from it so that we don't make those mistakes again, if they are things that we can control. Right. I also try to categorize things into like, you know, stuff that we can control stuff that we can influence and stuff. We just kind of have to observe. Right. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a powerful message. Uh, you know, I've shared podcasts with folks on the team, some of which have listened, uh, some of which probably haven't, but it's okay. Like, I think there are examples in all of these things that we can learn from and, mm. and kind of shape and form how we function as a team or group.
0: Yeah. You say that like the culture and uh, the, you know, the culture and how the Bengals kind of ran that. And it's, you know I don't think things like what happened and the reaction from a head coach or a teammate standing up next to you or people on the bench, you know, patting them on the back and getting them out of there and taking care of them. I don't think that stuff just happens. I think that's that's something that's been built, it's been something that's discussed. It's it's a value of the organization, the head coach, the GM, and whatever it might be. When you try to build your teams and when you visit with your people, like like what what are the things that you try to instill in them? How do you how would you try to build that sense of teamwork and um that togetherness and that accountability to one another and when things happen poorly that you can have a team that will kind of surround and support and uplift even the person that may not have performed well are there things you all do
1: it's a it's a family atmosphere right like somebody once told me uh when you marry your significant other, right, your your husband, your wife, when you're when you're getting married, you're not just marrying that person; you're marrying their family. Mm-hmm. And can you see yourself um, being part of that family, right? So I look at the team that I'm leading as a as a family, right? There are going to be scenarios and times where we have missteps; uh, those are to be expected. But you know, if I'm if I'm hiring right, if I'm recruiting you know, correctly Mm -hmm. as it relates to having open job requisitions and things like that, and I'm filling it with the right people, then, uh, you know, I think ultimately um, we have high performing teams as a result of that. So things I look for specifically, right? I want somebody who's a hard worker. I want want them to be a self-starter. I don't want to have to spur them on. I'd rather have to pull back the reins a little bit, Mm -hmm. right? Like, hey, you're going too hard. Your expenses are through the roof. You're on the road every week. Like, you know, what are we seeing as, are we getting, are we getting the return on that investment? Right. Um, those type of things, obviously you have to be a little bit technically inclined in the roles that I'm looking for. Um, but I also want people that can tell stories, right. Um, people, customers specifically, if they can relate, um, and they can state like what's happening and, and tie it to real world examples, uh, then they build a relationship or a rapport with you. And people, Mm -hmm. I think, buy from people that they like, right? Like uh, I have a car dealer that I go to every time I need a new vehicle, right? Every, you know, four to eight years, depending. And it's because I like that person, right? I don't feel pressured. They know what to expect from me. I know what to expect from them. Mm -hmm. As opposed to walking up to a kind of a used car salesman on a lot somewhere and they're just trying to make the sell. They don't know me, uh, don't know what I value, that type of thing, so. When you,
0: how long, so how long have you been in sales? So when you when you got to VMware, where, was that an immediate? Like This is you, my first, that's... yeah, this is my
1: first uh, kind of venture into the dark side of sales. So all prior to that, I was always on the customer side. I was the one that was the customer that was acquiring the software, so. Oh, you were. So then you got into sales.
0: So what was the learning curve for you? Like, when did, like, was it a, what is it a long runway for you when you got into sales, trying to figure this out and trying to figure out how to connect and how to tell a story and how to solve problems? Was that a long runway? Or is it just kind of your personality of like, I can pick this up and it didn't take you long to get going to figure out how to get sales, how to take care of customers, how to serve people?
1: Yeah, I'll I'll tell you, because it's a funny story, right? Like, it was a fairly short rant for me. Those of you that, that know me, right, you know me. Uh, I like to tell stories. I'm a talker. Um, but in this scenario, right, I was kind of taken outside of my comfort zone. Like, ultimately, I have to sell something in order to be successful, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but what I found is that um, I just showed up and listened, like, I would ask uh, kind of leading questions. And then I would just listen to the customers talk about, hey, what they're experiencing, what they're trying to solve for, what projects they have coming up, um, which then put me in a spot of power, right? I had information then um, that I could relate to because guess what? I came from the customer side. I experienced similar problems and Hmm. this is how I solved them, right? I'm not saying it's the right or the best way, but it's the way that I used I utilize VMware software to do this, Um, to to micro segment my network or to, you know, virtualize a compute stack. So that type of stuff, I think, uh, I think it's really powerful, right? Like showing up and listening, though, being an active listener, um, probably don't see me take notes a lot during our conversations. But if I'm on site with a customer, I have a notebook and I'm capturing what they're talking about, what's important to them and trying to figure out how we can align uh, from a company standpoint to, to alleviate some of the pain they're feeling. Is
0: that where you, so you're coaching and leading your sales team. Is it, is, is the coaching and feedback you're given on that side of sales, like how to sell, how to be closing, how to prospect, how to, you know, network and how to tell like, is that where you spend a fair amount of your coaching time with your team?
1: That's some of it. Um, so I'm leading the technical sales arm. So there is a more of a, a business focused sales arm that I'm paired with right so mm-hmm. i have a peer that's based in texas and then i have another peer that's uh based up in wisconsin and effectively they are the account executive arm and we are the technical sales arm so yes like um well, there is some of that that's happening um i'm more focused around uh new releases of our products right new software releases how you how you understand you know, kind of what's changing in our software so that we can then communicate to customers, right? Mm. Newer features, newer functionality, things like that. But also, right, there is a sales aspect to that. So you have to show up, you have to listen, you have to develop a relationship, uh, you have to be active in that account. And the more you have a cadence with those accounts, the better off you'll be, right? We have some engineers, one specifically that I can think of in the Dallas area, His customers know that he's going to show up every other Friday morning, have a box of donuts and probably, um, Hmm. you know, some form of coffee or refreshments. And he's going to sit down and talk tech for an hour with them. Hmm. They know that he's going to show up every Friday. So he's developed a cadence. So they kind of expect him to show up. And as a result of that, he's one of the successful engineers on the team uh, Hmm. because of those relationships that he's established over time.
0: Well, I I I spent a fair amount of time in sales. Like when I, I coached college basketball and you're selling, and then through college and some other jobs that I had. Um, and I'll tell you the hardest thing I had in selling, which should be the easiest thing in selling, is closing the sale and asking for money.
1: ABC is right? yours. Right? It is always, always, be
0: always being, right. I could always do all the important. other stuff, but when it came time for that, I was always like. Like when I got out of coaching, I spent six or eight months working for Quicken Loans, which is a, you know, loan mortgage thing that the owner of Quicken Loans, I think owns the Cleveland Cavaliers, Dan Gilbert. And I did that. It was like, you know, on the phone, I needed a job. And so I was like, Hey, I'm going to get into the mortgage industry. And I just, I developed these relationships and be on the phone with people, but it was always like, just close, just close, just close. That always seemed to be the hardest. And it should have been the easiest, right. Of uh, Of just saying, Hey, you know, but that was just something I struggle with when, when you build your teams up and you hire, so, you know, hire people, hiring people with work ethic and, and giving them the feedback, if things are working and things of that nature, are there other, like, like, are there pillars to what you all do? Are there standards? Are there values that you all, you know, that, that kind of form your teams, like that, that you kind of can come back to and kind of build your foundation on?
1: Yeah. So, so as a company, we have a set of values that, uh, I don't have it written down it here anywhere in my office. So it's epic two. So execution, passion, integrity, customers, and community. So the C is actually squared. That's where the, the, the epic two comes from. But all of those things mean something to everybody, right? And over eight years, like I've learned that it means a lot. Like when I'm when I'm interviewing folks, I want to know execution-wise. Do they are they are they a lone wolf or do they work well in a team? I want people that work well in a team environment, right? Uh, I want them to be passionate. I want them to operate with integrity. Uh, obviously, there's a focus on our customers and then community. Do they are they doing something outside of their job, right? Are they active in their community? Are they giving back to their community? That type of stuff it's is is are things that are important to to folks at VMware. Uh, and I would argue why we're we're a great company to work for, right? We we make all of the lists of, you know, best companies to work for and things like right. that. But um it it truly hits home, right? Like um I operate a team of your team that I'm responsible for as, you know, as those values of VMware go. So what was yeah. the second C? So you said Cash. it was C square. Uh, customers and
0: community. Customers yeah. and community. So yep. so what, what I have found, and I'm kind of on this kick since January, a number of our episodes, this is episode nine, like I mentioned, but we've spent a fair amount of time really talking about just values and starting with values. And you know, it's kind of the, one of the things, you know, if you, uh, if you don't know what your values are, I guess I, I forget the exact phrase, but you stand for nothing. If you don't know what, what you stand on, then you stand for nothing. Right. And then, right. but you having those values of Epic squared is, or, Two, I think yeah, is what you said. Yeah. Yep. So that, and that, and that, though that acronym and those values, it's easy to kind of evaluate and hold people accountable and coach people up on those values. Right. If you kind of yeah. know where you are, like, if you don't know what you stand on it, I find it difficult to kind of give the feedback and hold people accountable and to level up and to kind of get alignment across your team. Right.
1: I agree. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, so I think those are the good values. And then you, you mentioned that you, you hire to those values. Are those things that you kind of go through as you're, as you're, you know, looking for people or finding, uh, finding people to bring in?
1: Yeah. I try to do as much research as possible. Right. So we have a, a team of recruiters that work for the company um, and they're out doing research on folks. So if I have an open requisition, they're looking at people's backgrounds people's technical knowledge, certifications that they may have, things like that. I'm also looking out on the web, right? So I'm looking at LinkedIn, I'm looking at other social media platforms to try to figure out like, um, is this person really active in their community, right? Are they doing things outside of their day-to-day job responsibilities? Um, Like, are they active in the Boy Scouts with their kids? Are they coaching their kids? Um, That type of stuff. Because I think it's important, right? Like I I tell everybody this that I tell within VMware. We're a great company because of the people that we have and the culture that we've created. Um, But VMware is what we do. It's not who we are, right? If that makes sense. Like I want people to have a life outside of their job, right? I want that work-life that's fall on everybody. Like I remember, you know, in my past, I was looking for, uh, my direct boss to manage my work-life balance, and truly, mm. like I should own that, right? So, um, yeah, yeah, man, it definitely, definitely uh, focus on the values and make sure that that the people that we're recruiting and that we're bringing into the company align to those.
0: Yeah, there was a, um, and I'll try to be short with this story. But you and I, I had talked to you when we were texting back and forth this morning about uh, doing this episode together. You know, this idea of a trusting team. And and the reason that I came up with, I didn't come up with the phrase. The reason I wrote that phrase down this morning, I was listening to somebody um, that I, I try to listen to every day, every other day, and he's he's I'm I'm inspired by him. He motivates me. He gets me kind of going. A guy named Simon Sinek, who just goes out and and speaks. But he was speaking to Coca Cola in this video I saw, and it was about the question was you know how do you build a trusting team? And this is kind of what he said. Uh, it's it this is what he said in my notes here. I'm going to look at my notes real quick, and I really like this. Um, and just to get your kind of perspective on it, he said he was getting coffee at a hotel he was staying at in Vegas or something. He said he was in Vegas. So he's staying in Vegas. He's getting a coffee at, at a, uh, at a Starbucks or something. And he asks the barista who gives him his coffee, do you like your job? Do you like your job? He says, that is, is kind of his go-to question when he's talking with people. And the barista said, I don't like my job. I love my job. And then he talks about the difference between like and love. And, you know, he was talking about how, you know, like is, you know, love is an emotional thing. It's a higher connection to something, right? That you just love your job, right? It's the example he gives is, you know, if you ask about your relationship with your wife, you know, you don't say you like her, right? You say, you know, you love her, right? And so it's a different, it's a higher level of connection, right? But then he went and the guy, and then he asked, he was like, why do you love your job? And he said, well, I love my job because when I'm here, any manager, any manager, even somebody I don't report to, any manager that walks by will always ask me how I'm doing and how they, what, they, what I might need from them, right? And he's yeah. like, it's just this environment and culture of leadership saying, hey, how are you doing? What do you need? You know, How can I help you type thing? And then he said, this isn't my only job. I also work for another hotel doing something else. And it's mm-hmm. the worst job. It's the worst job I've ever had. And I just put my head down. I don't try to communicate with anybody. I just try to get through, I just collect a paycheck. But, and so those were the two different experiences. And he was talking about how to build this trusting team, this engaged team, this team that is living those values. But it, he said, it's, it's the same person. It's the same person going through both situations. But in one situation he's withdrawn he doesn't want anything to do with it. He wants to collect a paycheck. He want, doesn't want to talk to anybody. He wants to get out of there as quick as he can. And on the other side, he's like, I love my job. This is the best yeah. thing. It's the best thing I look forward to. So the comment was, it's not a people thing. It's not, it's not him. It's the leadership. It's in the environment. It's the culture. It's a trusting, uh, trusting organization. Right. And, and so when we were talking about, and I found that story to be great, I found that to really be a good story of just leadership and management of creating that environment of, and it's as simple as like, Hey, what do you need? How can I help? How are you doing? What can I do to help you? Um, but when I asked you about a trusting team, you know, you were like, Hey, that's in my wheelhouse, like, you know, and building those things. But I, and I, you know, any, I mean, any comment you might have on that story about how that resonates with you and your leadership and your teams, but just like a trusting team, that was his example of building that trusting team of people with you, right? And, you know, how, how does that story hit you? And then, you know, what are things like, how do you build your teams to where they know they trust you, they trust one another, their customers trust them, and you can kind of have that level of love over like of their job?
1: Yeah, so a lot to unpack there. Uh, first, yeah. Simon Sinek- love everything he does and yes every it right like yeah. determine your why i think that was actually a video link that a friend item who now i believe is ceo of tau site which is another tech company he kind of ran our healthcare vertical here at vm where was responsible mm-hmm. for creating it when i first started uh, i think that was one of the first things he sent to me was a simon sinek video that was like determine your why and it basically yeah. I won't go into it in deep level of detail, but it focuses a lot on Apple and Steve Jobs, and kind of like once you determine your why, everything else kind of falls in place. So uh, yeah. I recommend uh, watching yeah. that one if you haven't. Uh, but yeah, the the team in general, right? A trusting team. Uh, I did say it was right in my wheelhouse, right? Because I think trust is something that's earned; it's not given, right? It happens over time. And it's not something that you can force, right? So I'm in a bit of a unique situation at VMware currently. I have a team that is part of the central part of the US. Um, Half of that team is the South Central. The other half is the North Central. The South Central team and I have worked together for a little over four years probably, right? So we've developed that rapport. And the North Central team has only been with me for about three months. Now, there are some people that I've worked with over the past, you know, eight years, um, on and off, but they're kind of newer to me, right? So trying to establish this trust, I realize that it takes time. Uh, one of the things that I focus on is showing up, right? Like mm-hmm. in order to develop trust, you have to dis- you have to show up. You have to determine what's in it for them, right? I I think I've said that to you a couple times right. in the past, like whether we're talking about high school coaching or or work life in general, right? Um, you know, you have to determine other people's why, or they have Mm -hmm. to determine their why and then be able to communicate that to you. So um, a lot of the the one-on-one conversations I have with the team on a regular basis are focused around how things are going in their personal life. And I develop a relationship, they tend to open up more and share more information with me because I truly believe that what's happening outside of work definitely has an impact on what's happening inside of Right. Um, second, I'll say that, um, you know, the building a trusting team, um, you have to have the right people on the bus, right? Like, so I get back to, you know, hiring, recruiting, uh, making sure that, that those people are a cultural fit because I think I've had this experience in the past, right. If you hire somebody and they're, they're maybe not the best fit. Um, it can totally spiral the team kind of downward and out of control. Yeah. Right. If you like, right. Um, in those situations, though, hopefully your team is strong enough and and, you know, a, a high functioning of enough team that they can kind of work with that individual to help them understand you know um, how we do things and why we do things the way we do it. Um, otherwise, it's just a scenario where, you know, you may have to make one out of the business. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: It's interesting you say that, and I'm in another sport, I guess, story, um, something I saw, and I'm sure uh, that you saw it as well. It was interesting. Deion Sanders got hired as the new football coach at University of Colorado a month or so ago, and he gave this talk in front of his team, You know, second or third talk, and kind of the theme of the talk was, hey, we don't have time for a lot of this stuff. Like, we, like We've got to get results now. We need to be connected now. We need to trust each other now because we don't have 6 8 12 months to try to get to know one yeah. another. Like we've got yeah. to, dev- and so I get that like for us to hire new people and build a sales team and get connected with them, build the trust, set some standards and goals, be accountable to the process. That all takes time. But in your industry, do you have time for that or do you, like you all want it to happen no, faster. Right? Yeah, that's like, why you-, you have
1: to that's why you have to hire right, right? I mean, I'm I keep going back to that, but it's it's the truth and a lot of the people that that i'm hiring i'm already connected with right so i'm building a network as i'm going to these these um you know meeting with customers meeting with other employees of vmware i'm trying to determine hey are there partners involved here like who are other people that i can connect with um as it relates to that Uh, because inevitably somebody will find something new that they want to go do and may leave VMware at some point and I have to be able to rapidly spin up and fill that role so that we get back to to kind of fully functioning. Do do the people you end up hiring
0: what is that how long does it take before you feel like okay we've got a good rhythm here with this team this somebody new and all that does it take long for people to get up to speed because of that connection and because how you vet your candidates?
1: Um, I've had, I've had people like be a full, like a fully contribute member of the team within, you know, one to three months. Uh, mm-hmm. and then, you know, I've also had people take 12 months, uh, and that 12 month cycle is it's tough right? because they want to be successful. They want to make right. sure that they're, they're hitting revenue expectations, that they're developing a rapport and cadence with their customers, that they're focused on the right things. Um, but yeah sometimes those those scenarios are challenging
0: now so and we only probably have about you know 10 minutes left but um so with the start of the new year i i know you're a goal guy i know you listen to podcasts you consume a lot of leadership team development content so as you kind of look at 2023 for you and or your teams and and uh, the people on your team and your products that you're selling what what are the how how are things different this year what what are you doing differently how are you leveling up your teams yourselves so you have a great 2023 what changes are you yeah. making
1: yeah man so we're like in true vmware fashion we're going to change as a company as an organization we've uh we're actually in the in the process of being acquired uh mm. by broadcom um for i think it's 61 billion and change that's with a Oof. b so a, a ton of Sorry. money right right yeah so um you know, I'm trying to I'm trying to focus on the things that I can control and the things that I can influence, and then the other stuff is just noise, right? So I know that I know that I have a word uh, for 2023. Uh, mm-hmm. My word is process. Like I want to get lost in the process. Um, a, a lot of athletic uh, kind of ties here, right? Um, those folks that get up and do the same thing and have a process that they go through on a regular basis are sometimes the most successful, right? I know that um, you've done 75 hard before. Um, I am not in in any way <laughs> signing up for that currently, uh, right. but I do I do have things I'm doing on a personal front that are hopefully gonna make me better, right? Um, right? I will also say like from a work standpoint, getting caught up in the process. So if your process is right and you're following it to a T, then the results will just kind of happen, right? Mm. Um, and so like, that's, that's kind of my word. And, and so I've been going through some, the same, the same type of scenario with the team. I've challenged them to create a word for this calendar year uh, and communicate that. And actually this Friday at our upcoming team call, I'm going to present back to them uh, in word art format. Oh, yeah. uh, everybody's word and kind of show like, and, and this is going to be something I'm going to continue to tie back to throughout the year. This is what we said we were going to do. Are we doing it, right? Are we delivering and are we fo- still focused on it? Do you know offhand some of the words that you've heard from your team this year? Yeah, man, I actually have it up in the background here. So uh, mine is process. Um, one of them consistency, focus, discovery, routine, go, discipline. Um, discipline equals freedom. So, yep. yeah, there's, so Jocko, there's a handful of yep. them. Yeah. yeah, so yeah.
0: that That's great. And I'm doing the same thing and I've shared mine with you and I'm just trying to, I write it down every morning in my planners just to try to think bigger, right? And yeah. I, I think in one of my episodes, I talk about that because it ended up being, actually was weird as I was driving, listening to some, motivational leadership type stuff coming back from Kansas city, uh, one morning and somebody's vanity license plate said bigger oh, as they were great. talking about having bigger, it was yeah. kind of a weird thing. I was like, there's my word for the year. So, I mean, maybe the last question, I have a tendency to get off point, but you have an athletic background. You're involved in sports. You played, I believe yeah. college baseball at a school here in Missouri. How, how did that prep you? Like what, what did you learn about being an athlete? Uh, because I, th- I feel like there, there's a push to not a push. I mean, I guess it's all, you know, whatever you can, you, you, whatever you're looking for, you can find. But I feel like, you know, people that are in sports and understand the the values that that creates and the work and the, uh, the things that creates that, you know, you become, you know, really good employees and really good teammates and all that. But the experiences you had of being a, a very good high school athlete and then being able to play in college and going through that, being immersed in, uh, you know, uh, sports for with your three children, what, what do you think? from those experiences prepped you for life, prepped you for where you're at uh, and the success that you've had with VMware and all the other places you've been?
1: Yeah, man. Um, so I think I think one of the key themes is you get out of it, what you put into it, right? Um, if you're not gonna show up in the mornings and shoot, and if you're not gonna be the hardest worker in the gym when you're at practice, and if you're not gonna hit the weight rooms and you're not gonna take care of your grades, then like ultimately that's what you're going to get out of it. Right. Like, um, so that, that was something in college. Like, I'm happy to say that, you know, I think, I think my grade point average in college was three, seven or three, eight. Like I made good grades. Um, I, I showed up for weights. I showed up to practice. I tried to be the harder work hardest for on the field that day during practice and control what I can control. Right. I think that these are all things that translate to life, right? Like there are, there's some key words or key themes that I say to my kids when I drop them off at places, like to go into practice and things like that. One of them is always be the hardest worker in the gym. If you're outworking everybody else, then you're in a good spot. And if everybody is then doing that, you've created this culture of of kind of hard work and effort and you're, you're making your team better. Right. So right. that's, uh, I mean, I think too, you know, in athletics, like, I've established relationships there that that are going to last a lifetime. Uh people that were in my wedding, that I played baseball with, people that I grew up with, that I'm still connected to. Um, you know, we're all at different points in our lives. But uh, yeah, man, I think uh I I definitely yeah. love being active in in sports. Um, I love being active in my kids' lives and their sports that they're they're passionate and that they love and that they're involved in. And yeah, yeah. I think uh You know, there's some definite, definite, uh, definite things that translate between the two, between athletics and life. Yeah.
0: And, and then, you know, trying to get that, you know, being able to be a part of a team, there's a story that I've told in some other podcasts, probably the best week I ever had in coaching, um, was, I forget how old I was. I might've been 30. Um, I was, a. Grew up in Seattle and I was a fan of the Seattle Supersonics. And they had a coach there for 10 or so years named George Carl. And he had retired from coaching and he spent a week in Detroit. And I actually got to hang out with him for a week, for a full week. Picked him up at the hotel, hung out with him all day, went to the Detroit Piston practices. He came to our practices and we were a small little school. But we went out to lunch one day. And it was the first time in his life that he had a year where he wasn't a part of a team. Cause he had yeah. retired or a, he didn't retire. He was fired by the Denver Nuggets. So he was fired by the Nuggets, didn't have a job in coaching. And he sat there at Knapp's Dairy Bar in downtown Rochester Hills, Michigan, drinking a chocolate shake. And he was 50 plus years old and he started to cry. And he got choked up and he said, George, this is the first time in my life I haven't been a part of a team. And he was like, it sucks, right? And so that, that whole thing about building teams professionally, you know, shared missions, shared values, shared sacrifice, winning, winning, whatever that might be, but also athletically being a part of a team where you're just fully immersed, um, and developing those relationships and friendships and all that. I mean, I think all that's, um, significant. It's great being a part of a team, you know, and it's a yeah, great, uh,
1: agree.
0: kind of going the same direction with people. It's great having the same wins and to maybe to circle back, right. to. As bad as as it is for that Cincinnati Bengal guy, you know, from you know the intro to this podcast, I mean, those guys that stood up for him, what a great deal. He loves football, but he knows he's a part of a team, and he knows that he's yeah. got his boys there with him, lifting him up, standing next to him, supporting him, making you know taking any bullets that he doesn't have to take, and I think all that's significant. So, listen, I how can people connect with you? I know you know, is it LinkedIn? Is that the, what's your platform of choice? Yeah. So people could connect with you on social media.
1: Yeah, man, LinkedIn or Twitter. Uh, I'm also on Facebook and Instagram, but not as active on those. And then, okay. um, Justin shy at com is, uh, is my e- personal email address. So, yeah. Feel free to reach out.
0: Okay. So what, what I'll do in the show notes for everybody is um, I'll have uh, Justin's LinkedIn information and his link there. I'll have his Twitter information as well. You can reach out to him there. And I'll I'll just say this about Justin. I've known Justin for six or seven years. What I admire most about Justin is he's an awesome dad, an awesome dad. Um, and he's a an example to me raising two sons, and a daughter, and we all have kids about the same age, we're actually very fortunate. The the group that we run with here in the St. Louis area, we have amazing men. We have amazing men with amazing wives, with amazing children, and the community that we are raising our children in is as good as I've ever seen, And, and Justin is a part of that and how he raises the example he is to You know, even though I'm older, I might be one of the oldest people in the group. It's still an inspiration and a great example to me how to be present, how to love, how to care for um, and all that with our children. So, I mean, I can't thank you enough for that. And um, our friendship uh, means a lot to me and um, all all the people, all the people that we run with. So with that, I'll make sure that um, that Justin's information, please connect with him on LinkedIn and, you know, drop him a line. What he's doing for VMware, what he's doing in his community, what he does for his family is second to none. And Justin, I appreciate you having you know 45 minutes or an hour with us today to talk about team-related stuff and trusting teams and, and your experiences
1: at VMware. Yeah, man. No, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it, George.
0: Okay, and thank you for listening. And again, uh, look for us on LinkedIn, on Twitter, Any anything you can do to help us out with sharing and liking and commenting. We always appreciate that connection. All right. Thank you. And I appreciate you listening.